0: All right, time's up. Let's go. So if you're if you're new here, um, or even if you're if you're not that new, you may feel a little awkward about that five minute period. Please don't feel awkward. I stood up here a little bit and watched and was a little awkward, but I noticed that you were all talking to one another. That's why we do that. Well one we have to we have to dismiss the kids, right? That's important. They need to get back to, to the Kids Connection Club and have their lessons and all of that. But we don't just want you to come here and sit next to one another and not know anybody. And so we're trying to create spaces and opportunities for you actually to get to know one another. So don't just sit there and awkwardly drum your thumbs. Go get some coffee or mingle and and say hi to people. That's intentional. So if it's awkward, just press through the awkward and and use that time to say hello to someone that, that you've not met before. So that's what I'll say about that. Also, I I want to admit something or confess something. I was a little jealous last week that Wes got to preach on Romans 12, the first part of it. That is probably, if I had to pick, there's really two scriptures. One is not a 2 Timothy, uh, Workman Approved by God is the NIV head title. It's like 2 Timothy 2, 14 through something else. That one is one of my favorite scriptures, but the other one that's maybe right up there with it is Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you haven't committed any verses to to memory, that would be one that, that would be right up towards the top. It is such a good, it's a command But it's also a promise. The command is that we wouldn't conform to the patterns of this world. As Wes talked to us last week, he he said, we need to look beautifully abnormal from the world. I loved that, Wes, that was a great big idea. Beautifully abnormal. We shouldn't conform or look like the world looks. We should look different in a winsome and beautiful way. So that's the command, right? But the command comes with a promise. Be transformed. Be transformed, and I don't, know, don't, I don't know about you, but how do you be transformed? That's something that, that you can't really do. It's something that happens to you, right? Right? I know we like to think that we can control our world our in, and our environment, but we, we don't really have that much control when it comes down to things, do we? The thoughts that come into our mind, the emotions that we feel, the desires and frustrations that we have, there's not like a switch that we can just flip and, and turn that off. It's like, well, I'm not going to act like that or I'm not going to think that. We, we're, we, we have a control over how we respond to those things, but those things coming in and through us, we, we don't. And so I love the promise in Romans 12 too, is that God is saying, listen, if you will focus on me, if you'll make your work to look different from the world and not just focus on what you shouldn't be, but focus on who I want you to be. I want you to look like Jesus, beautifully abnormal, like Jesus. If you focus on that and make that your life's effort, if you focus on me, then I will do the rest. I will transform you. I will make you look different from the world. Now, we're going to read we're going to read Romans 12:9 through 11 or 9 through 21 here in a moment. And I wanna give you some more definition of what that looks like. Paul gives us some more definition. What does it look like to live beautifully abnormal lives, living sacrifices? What does that look like? Essentially, to sum it up, Paul says that it looks like loving others, that's our brothers and sisters, our family, our relatives, our, our family of faith. It looks like loving others, our friends and family, and also our enemies. It looks like loving others the way that Jesus loves you. And that's the big idea from Romans 12, the end of it. Romans 12, 9 through 20 for today. Love others the way that Jesus loves you. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you briefly about the last part of that big idea sentence. How Jesus loves you and how Jesus loves me. I want you to listen. Listen carefully right now. We're going to read a very comprehensive list of commands of what you and I should look like, of how we should live. We're gonna read a, a list here in a second. And if you're not careful, you can put a little check box beside it and then start to evaluate, evaluate yourself and, and think, how am I doing? And chances are, if you're honest and the Holy Spirit is working conviction in your heart and you're being transformed, you're gonna realize that you're not gonna be able to check that many boxes, at least not consistently. And so I wanna talk with you before we move into the, to the how and the what. I want to talk with you about the who jesus how does jesus love you the bible tells us that jesus loves you not because you're good not because you love like him the bible tells us that jesus loves you not because you can understand all of the mysteries of the universe and everything that god does the Bible says that Jesus loves you not because you can articulate the finer points of theology in a systematic way right we know John Calvin we know Martin Luther and we can do all the catechisms no the Bible doesn't say Jesus loves you because you got all of that stuff down pat Jesus loves you because he has chosen to love you Jesus died for you while you and I were still sinners scripture tells us tells us in Romans and in other places in Romans 3:23, Romans 5:8, while we were still sinners before we did anything of eternal worth in the sight of the father. Jesus said, "I love you. I love you because I created you. And I've said that you are worthy of my love, and if you let me, I will die for you and I will make a way for you to come back into my love." I will do the work that you can never do. I will earn for you what you could never earn apart from me. I will do it all so that you can know and live in my love. What this means is that the love of God that talks about that we've been talking about in the gospel, the love of God in Jesus Christ, it does not originate in you. It does not come to you because of anything about you or anything in you. The love of God originates in God himself and is his sovereign choice. He sets his love upon us because he has decided to do so. Think about adoption with me for a second. Some of you have adopted children. When... When the NAF Singers and others of you who who set out to adopt their children, did they put a list together of traits, of genetic qualities or uh, characteristics, personality traits that they were looking for from their children? Well, we want to adopt, but it's got to be this type of kid or this certain thing or from this family. No. Of course they didn't do that. They chose children who were lost, who were orphaned and in need of a home and they set their love on them for no other reason than because they chose to do so. And now those little girls, those little boys, they are theirs, and nothing that those children can ever do will ever change that. This, friends, is the love of God on display for us through Christ Jesus in the Gospel. This is the grace and beauty of the good news of Jesus. See, God is not happy to see you because of anything that you did. He's not unhappy to see you because of anything that you failed or failed to do. God is always happy to see you and He's always happy to see me because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. If you or I are saved, We're saved by grace, through faith, alone in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, God says in his infinite grace, I will always, always, always be happy to see you. Friends, I want you to remember this truth of how Jesus loves you as we work through the specifics of this passage. As we work through Romans 12, 9 through 21, if you forget how Jesus loves you, you will fail. You will fail as we look at this list. You're going to fail. You're going to. But along with that, even when you fail, the gospel says that God's grace covers it. It covers it. So I want you to renew your mind, to preach the gospel to your heart this morning, as we think about the to-do's of the last part of Romans 12. As we were singing this morning, this happens to me sometimes before I get up to preach. I'm not a perfect person. My wife's not here to amen that. She's in Chicago visiting her sister. Some weeks are better than others, but I find myself, as I'm preparing to get up to preach, I find a, still, uh, a small voice in my head and my heart condemning me. How dare you get up in front of these people and tell them how to live their lives when yours is, you did this, that, and the other thing. And I start to list, I start to list the, my failures. Sometimes it's crushing. It was difficult this morning. I failed in some not so great ways this week. In some, not like crazy large, but I, yeah, I have sin. I have sin. And I, I screwed up. And there's some things this morning. I don't know if it was the enemy or if it was just my own sinful heart, but there was condemnation coming. And I had a choice this morning if I could sit, if I was going to sit in that and say, well, yeah, I'll just, I guess I'll just get up and I'm just going to do my best and in my own power and my own strength. And, and I guess I'll just, you're right, I'm a pretty terrible person. Or I could do Romans 12 too not conform to the patterns of my heart and the patterns of the devil and the patterns of this world. And I could renew my mind with the truth of Scripture. And I hear the still small voice of Jesus as we're singing, great are you, Lord. He whispered into my heart and he said, Levi, we're not singing how great you are this morning, are we? (laughs) No, Lord, you're right. You're great. And I have lived in your goodness and I get to preach, not because of anything that I do or I fail to do, I get to walk in your goodness because you've declared me good, because you are good, and you are great, and so don't get up there and tell people about how great you are, or think you got this, that, no, 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 tell them about me, tell them about my love, tell them about my greatness, and that even if they fail to do the things that we're about to talk about, that I will always be happy to see them because it's about Jesus. That's how this works. So we're gonna go through the list. It's gonna be hopefully pretty applicable for you. But as we go through it and you feel the weight of condemnation come and the enemy sing in your ear, See, you shouldn't even be here this morning. You shouldn't even claim to be a Christian because you're a terrible husband and you do this, that, and the other thing. You shouldn't do any of that. No, say, silence, enemy, be gone in the name of Jesus. I stand on the rock of Christ. I am made new. I am a new creation. I am righteous because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished and I know him. And I know him. So let's read together Romans 12, 9 through 21. I've entitled the message, Love Good, for two reasons. One, we're called to love the good, which is God's goodness as he defines it, love good. And also this is Henry County, and we don't always do grammar that well, right? So we're supposed to love good, right? Love well, love good, love like Jesus. So let's read it together. Starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere, Now there are a lot of ways we could work through this passage, and I think the easiest is just to go line by line, verse by verse, and just to make a few comments along the way. We're going to be a little pressed for time, so I'm going to work fairly quickly through it. Before we do that, I want you to see that this this section of Scripture is really chopped into two sections. It's talking about loving our friends, the family of God, and also loving our enemies like Jesus loves us now verses 9 through 16 mostly deal with loving our friends like Jesus Paul says firstly in verse 9 that love must be sincere it must be sincere if you look up the Greek word it means unhypocritical that's the actual word don't be a hypocrite in your love don't be phony in your love that means just don't pretend to love people right like maybe we could pick on our, our brothers and sisters in the South a little bit. Oh, bless their heart, right? They have a, a, a veneer of love and being very very kind and loving on the outside, but if you might dig into it a little bit, you might find that there's a lot of whispers and gossip and, and the veneer maybe isn't true, right? Paul says don't do that. Love, your love must be sincere. Be genuine in your love, Paul continues, I think knowing that the word love could be hijacked by culture to mean tolerance and complete and total acceptance. He follows up the command to love sincerely with another command. He says, "Love your love must be sincere. Be sincere, be genuine. Also, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Tim Keller in his commentary, he put it like this. He says, you and I cannot rightly love if we don't also learn to rightly hate. See, we're called to be horrified by what horrifies God. And we're called to cling to what he says is good. Not our definition of good, not culture's definition of good, but God's definition of good and evil. What God says is evil, we should hate it. What he says is good, we should love it and cling to it. To say it another way, sincere love, love that is true, it must correspond to God's will. True love knows God's truth and speaks it graciously to the loved ones in order to protect and build up. You see, sincere love is willing to risk the relationship to help the loved ones see and embrace God's truth. You see, there's always always a a temptation, a danger when we love someone, when we love someone so dearly, there's always a danger or a temptation to throw God's good out the window in favor of whatever the person we love says is good or whatever they say, well, this just makes me happy. And then we're just supposed to embrace it and say, well, if it makes you happy and it's good, good for you. It's hard for me to think of this particular text without my mind gravitating towards the issues of sexuality and the utter confusion and lies that are being embraced by our culture about choosing your gender and the homosexual lifestyle, right? Culture says if you love me, you'll love and embrace and and celebrate everything that I do. Again, from Keller's commentary, he reminded me of an old phrase that you've all heard said, if loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right. Paul says this is not sincere love. It's not the sincere love of God. It's phony. Sincere love hates what God hates and loves the good as God defines it. Now let me be clear here. Paul and Jesus are not calling us to hate people or to be hateful people. What they are calling us to is to love people enough To teach and train and discipline and disciple them in accordance to what God says is good and beautiful because we understand that ultimately God's good is what's best for them for us and for our culture I think of it like this you would never ever call a doctor loving who just couldn't bring himself or herself to, couldn't bear telling you the news that you have cancer and you need treatment, and here's what the treatment is. If you walked into an office and a guy just said, well, I don't have anything to report to you because he was so scared and terrified of giving you horrible news, that doctor would not said to be loving, correct? Of course not, he'd be selfish. He's considering his own friendships and his own relationships as higher above your need to hear that you have a sickness that needs to be cured. This is what Paul is talking about here. We need to love people enough to gently, to kindly help them see God's truth. Help them come into God's love. You can also think about what Paul is saying here in terms of parenting. Parents who, who love their children, and we, we talked about that before service, actually. We cued it out, right up. I need, I need a baby to cry when I'm gonna talk about parenting. <laughs> so thank you. We love, we love the kids. <laughs> Parents who love their children sincerely must hate what is evil and cling to what is good on behalf of their children. Parents who can't bring themselves to discipline little Johnny because they can't bear the tears or more likely the anger or the work required to work through the fit that is inevitably going to come, they are not in fact loving their children. There's no love for the child when the parent fares, fails to cling to good and discipline evil in the child's life for fear of losing the friendship with their child. Folks, you are not called to be your child's friend. You're called to be their authority. A loving authority, yes, and amen. A good authority, yes, true. But an authority nonetheless There's a new trend in parenting books and podcasts that I've heard that would tell specifically parents of toddlers that you need to really reason with your toddlers. Sit down and when they screw up, man, have this really long, drawn out conversation so they understand why they're being disciplined and what you specifically want them to do. And every time I hear that, I get the heart behind it and I appreciate it, but I laugh a little bit because toddlers do not have the ability to reason their brains are not developed enough to get abstract ideas right and so all of this modern psychologists like well we got to keep the friendship with our kids so make sure we have these really long con- with toddlers it's like this is this is crazy toddlers cannot do that again do you know what your children need from you especially your toddlers they need to understand that they live under authority <laughs> God has placed you in their life to establish that they, just like us, are under authority. The world doesn't revolve around you, it doesn't revolve around me, and it doesn't revolve around them. The world revolves around the king of glory, who loves us, who knows what's best for us, even if at times we don't understand or we think we know better. Your job, parenting toddlers, is to help them grasp this idea. So church, love your toddlers sincerely. Help them understand you're in charge, that you love them no matter what, that you know what's best, and that there will be swift and stern consequences. Not long drawn out discussions or empty threats. Swift and stern consequences when they fail to live under your umbrella of protection and authority to put it simply love your toddlers enough to discipline them love them enough to spank them tell them why they're getting spanked spank them and then give them a hug and tell them that you love them and that's why you discipline them and then send them back on their way your child will not die your child will not reject you forever but even if they do True love is willing to take that risk because sincere love hates what God hates and love loves the good as God defines it and is willing to help those it loves see and embrace the truth. Your love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I realize that what I just said may be offensive to some people in here this morning. And so... I'm not going to defend myself, but I've said this before, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. And so I want to give you a couple passages, we're not going to read them, I'm going to give you a couple of them on the screen, you can write them down, you can read them for yourself, and do a little, little reference and, and research. I want you to know that God cares deeply about disciplining our children, and there's multiple places, multiple places in scripture that speak to that. So you can write that down for your reference go check it out i'd love to talk to you more about it if you, if you want about parenting toddlers and all that I'm not an expert but i do think god's word has some really helpful things to say about that now that said if you're not offended by my reference to spanking my, my uh, suspicion is that there might be another objection raising in your heart because it ra- rises in mind when i read this passage when i read about how my love must be sincere I think. If love is supposed to be sincere, how in the world am I supposed to be devoted to people that I despise? If I don't have feelings of love towards someone, then wouldn't it be hypocritical of me to act loving towards them? You just said don't be phony, right? How am I supposed to love people? How am I supposed to be nice to people to their face when I cannot stand them, when they do not deserve my love or affection? It's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? How are we to love people sincerely when we despise them in our hearts? Paul has two words for us. Honor others as better than yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Do you know why we despise people generally? It's because we think we're better than them or we we think we deserve better from them. We have an overestimation in our heart of our importance and what we're entitled to. And if it's not that, then we've lost our spiritual zeal. We don't get excited or overwhelmed anymore by the grace that Jesus has chosen to show us in his radical love. Here's what this passage is asking us for and what it's not asking us for. It's true. You're not going to have the warm and fuzzies for every single person in general or even here at this local church. That's true. That said, Paul says, God calls you to live devoted to one another. Be committed to live in love with everyone. Do this by seeking to honor everyone. We do that by remembering that we're just not that important. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Honor them by remembering you're not that important and then tend the fire of love that Jesus has for you in your heart. I remember a sermon from many years ago. A friend of mine, Cal Rickner, the whole big idea was tend the fire. He's got a deep, rumbly voice. He gave us a coal that said tend the fire. He said, Christians have grown cold in their faith. You've got to tend the fire, he said. We've got to tend it. Tend to that fire. But for the grace of God, where would you be? if Jesus had not come, what hope would we have? What would we be like? What would I be like on my best day? I'm still a miserable wreck. With Jesus, what would I be like without him? What would my eternal destination look like without Christ? Jesus, while you and I did not deserve it, while the only thing we were entitled to was the wrath of God and hell, Jesus came and he rescued us because he chose to do so. Remember that, and as you remember that, allow the scriptures to renew your mind and be transformed. Repent of your despising whoever it is that you're despising. Acknowledge your frustration about the person to God. Tell him what's got you ticked off. And then ask him to remind you of your weakness and praise Him for the grace that He has given to you in Jesus. Preach the gospel to your heart, and then act out what you see Jesus doing for you, from you out in to others. Folks, your emotions are not to be the engine of your life. They're the caboose. They're not the engine. They're the caboose. We have them. God's aware that we have them. I tell my kids often, you're allowed to have emotions. Let's talk about them. Your emotions are not allowed to control you. C.S. Lewis said it this way, stop asking whether or not you love your neighbor. Start acting as if you do and your feelings will follow. The way we stay sincere and uphold our integrity in this love is by confessing and repenting along the way. Speaking with Jesus about... Anything you know in your heart that does not line up with his good. Rejecting it. Hating evil. Clinging to good. We've got a lot more to cover and not very much time to do it. So buckle up. We're going to go quickly here. He has some more words to say about how to love friends. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Recognize that even in our friendships, sometimes things will get sticky, sometimes things will get tricky. Paul says, be faithful. Stay devoted to your friends, especially your friends in faith. Stay faithful. Keep the joy. Remain committed. And never stop praying. Sometimes, at the end of the day, all we have left to do is pray. And that's not nothing, friends. That's the power of God. Keep praying for reconciliation. Keep pursuing them. Because why? Because Jesus never stops pursuing you. Share with people in need, he says. Don't just talk about it. Do. Be generous on all occasions. Remember, all throughout Scripture, God says, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to others. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is the art of turning strangers into friends. Open your home. Open your table. Open your schedule. How about that one? Create some margin. Open your schedule to strangers, especially within the family of faith. Seek to befriend, to make some fridge friends here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. The mourning part, it comes pretty natural. I mourn with my sister who's losing her hearing. And I pray for healing with her. I mourn for my brother and sister who recently had a miscarriage, they're seeking to be pregnant. I mourn with my brother who had a cancer diagnosis. It's pretty easy to mourn with those we love, isn't it? What happens when the things we long for, when the things we pray for happens for them but not for us? Can you rejoice with them? Can you rejoice with them when they get what you've prayed for What you've hoped for? Or do you get embittered and jealous? Friends, rejoicing is only possible if our hope rests in Jesus and not the things we're praying for or hoping for. If Jesus remains our hope and our supply and our need over and above the promotion or the house or the children or the spouse then we will be able to rejoice when our friend gets married and we are still single. If, however, we've turned what we want into an idol, the thing that we must have or else, then we will not be able to rejoice, but we will become embittered and resentful. I hope by now that you're beginning to understand how it is that we love others people like Jesus loves us the only way this is possible is by remembering the love that Jesus has for us we cannot do any of this by ourselves we cannot do any of this unless we are rooted securely in the love of Christ we are enabled to love others only when we first realize that he first loved us Paul continues with some more great stuff, but we're going to jump to the end. Verses 17 through 21. Essentially, they all say the same thing, just in different words. Don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. That's the negative. Don't do this, Paul says. When you're persecuted, when you're treated in evil ways, when evil is done to you, God says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not try to get even. But the Bible understands our heart. God understands that if you don't want someone to think about a pink elephant, then you can't just say, well, don't think about a pink elephant, right? God understands the principle of football. You don't just tell a running back, well, here's what not to do. Just avoid tacklers, right? No, of course not. You tell them there's the end zone. Here's what you focus on. Run to this. So God doesn't just say, don't do this. He has some don't do's, but more than that, he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to run hard at. Be a peacemaker. Make peace. Seek to be at peace with me. Understand that the peace that Jesus has made with you and as he makes peace with you and I and you experience that peace, then you take my peace out into the world and you make that peace with everyone in as much as it depends upon you. I love how practical that is. Some people don't want to make peace. And to those, to those God says, listen, as much as it depends upon you, you be a peacemaker. As much as you can control your response, and that's all you control, friends, your response. Make peace. And if people still choose to persecute and revile you and despise you, then you give them to the Lord. Forgiveness is turning the debt that you're owed over to God's debt collection agency, right? When we're offended, when people do evil against us, when we're sinned against, There are wrong things that happen. Absolutely. God's saying, don't say that nothing's wrong. No, hate what is evil. But you are not to be the repo agency. That's my job. That's my job. He says, hear this, child. Justice will be served. Either upon the cross, in salvation, and folks, I think that's what the burning coals is all about, that if we love our enemies like Jesus loves us, that some of them may repent. Dress up in sackcloth and ashes put to coals, the ash on their heads in repentance. That's the goal. God says, My wrath will be will be sufficed on the cross or in the final judgment. But vengeance is not yours. It's mine. Bring that debt to me. Entrust it to me. I'll make sure justice gets taken care of. That's how we love even our enemies, like Jesus, in an understanding that justice will eventually be had, hopefully through the cross and salvation, but if not, in the judgment. At the end, God's good is going to overcome evil. So, in this life, don't be overcome by evil. Hold on. Hold tight and overcome evil with God's good by seeking to love others, your friends, as well as your enemies, like Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that when you call us into a new way to be human, into a new and better life, you also equip us. Lord Jesus, it's hard enough to love our friends and our family like Christ, let alone our enemies. Would you help us first understand the gospel, not just with our minds, but also with our hearts? Help us rest in the truth. We are not what we do. We are not loved because of what we fail to do or unloved because of what we fail to do. We are loved because Jesus went to the cross while we were still sinners. He set his face upon us in love. He said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, bless them. Even though they curse me, I do not curse them. Bless them, Lord. Bring them back into the family. Adopt them. Set your love on them. Lord Jesus, convince us of that truth. Teach us to preach the gospel to ourselves. Renew our minds with that truth day by day so that we might know your good, pleasing, and perfect will. That we might live all of our lives as beautifully abnormal sacrifices that might win many into the family, the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to love others the way that you love us. It's for your glory and our joy that we pray. Amen.